Our Old Testament passage today picks up in Numbers chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous, has a discharge, or is unclean through contact with a dead body. Now, I want you to notice this. Contagious, may be contagious, contact with the dead, may be contagious. This is um, quarantine. This was one of the sanitation laws. This is one of the health laws that God had for the people of Israel. If someone is leprous, put them outside the camp. We don't want plagues going through the camp. If they have a discharge, that's infection coming out of their body. You know, you've got open wounds with, with, with pus coming out. Put them outside the camp. People who've touched a, a dead body. Again, you, you, once a body dies, I mean, bacteria just goes crazy in that body, okay? They've even found that COVID today can be contagious after a person dies. So th this is God practicing quarantine. Remember, you've got over a million people traveling through the desert, very close quarters, <laughs> God just practicing quarantine. You shall put both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile the camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so, and put them outside the camp, as the Lord said to Moses, so the people did. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, realizes his guilt, he shall confess the sin he has committed. He shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding 20%, a fifth to it, and giving it to him who he did wrong. This is the law of retribution. In other words, if you've taken advantage of somebody, if you've stolen from somebody, you confess it, you make full restitution, plus 20%. So it's not enough just to take advantage of somebody in business and steal money from them and then not pay it back because, well, I'm forgiven by Jesus now. No, you, you have to pay it back. But if the man who has no next of kin to whom restitution may be made for the wrong the restitution for the wrong shall go to the Lord. So if the person has died already, you know what? You still have to make it right. But now you give the offering to God. Go to the Lord for the priest in addition to the ram of atonement with which the atonement is made for him. And every contribution, all the holy donations of the people of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. And each one shall keep his holy donations. Whatever anyone gives to the priest shall be his. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. If any man's wife goes astray and breaks faith with him, if a man lies with her sexually and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and she is undetected though she has defiled herself and there is no witness against her since she was not taken in the act, and if a spirit of jealousy comes over him that he is jealous of his wife who has defiled herself, or if the spirit of jealousy comes over him and he is jealous of his wife though she has not defiled herself, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest and bring the offering required of her, a tenth of an ephah barley flour. He shall pour no oil on it and put no frankincense on it, for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of remembrance, bringing iniquity to remembrance, a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of remembrance, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water, in an earthenware vessel, 
and shall take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord, and unbind the hair of the woman's head, and place in her hands the grain offering of remembrance, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And in his hand the priest shall have the water of bitterness that brings curse. Then the priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority, be free from this water of bitterness that brings curse. But if you have gone astray, though you are under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself in some other man other than your husband has lain with you, then let the priest make the woman take the oath of the curse and say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people, when the Lord makes your thigh fall away and your body swell. May this water that brings curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. Then the priest shall write these curses in a book and wash them off into the water of bitterness. And he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings curse. And the water that brings curse shall enter into her and cause bitter pain. And the priest shall take of the grain offering of jealousy out of the woman's hand and shall wave the grain offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the grain offering as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar and afterwards shall make the woman drink the water. And when he has made her drink the water, then if she has defiled herself and has broken faith with her husband, the water that brings curse shall enter into her and cause bitter pain and her womb to swell and her thigh to fall away. And the woman shall become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive children. This is the law in cases of jealousy, when a wife, though under her husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself, or when the spirit of jealousy comes over a man and he is jealous of his wife. Then he shall set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall carry out for her all this law, and the man shall be free from iniquity, but the woman shall bear her iniquity. Now, I want you to notice, this looks really cruel, and this looks really one-sided but I want you to notice the protection it provides for a woman. It is protection. It is God saying, I validate her word. There's no other way that the woman can validate her truthfulness. And if a husband has just gone crazy unreasonable, so before you think this is all really negative against a woman, notice, it is God saying, she's going to take an oath to me, and I'm going to validate her. And that shuts up the husband. Ah, so the jealousy stops. And life returns to peace. Ah. So don't, don't look upon this as just a negative. Maybe look upon this a little differently. That in a male-dominated society, God says, I'm going to vouch for the lady. Chapter 6, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, he shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and he shall not drink any juice of the grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds of the skins. Now, th this is all dealing with the idea of leaven, all right? All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, 
not even for his father or his mother or his brother or sister if they die, shall he make himself unclean, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he is holy to the Lord. And if any man dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing, and on the seventh day he shall save it. On the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two pigeons to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall offer one for the sin offering and the other for a burnt offering to make atonement for him, because he sinned by the reason of the dead body, and he shall consecrate his head that same day and separate himself to the Lord for the days of his separation, and bring a male lamb a year old for a guilt offering. But the previous period shall be void, because his separation shall be defiled. In other words, he starts all over again. He doesn't just pick up, okay, I'll pick up where I left off. He starts all over again. Now, you find this principle of starting all over again throughout the scriptures, like when Jacob did his deception of his father and, and all of that stuff. God made him go all the way back to the land that Abraham had left. He had to go back to the land of his grandfather, and he had to start the journey all over again. Sometimes you had to understand when you've messed up, you start at the beginning. You don't pick up where you left off. When you mess up, you start at the beginning. You don't pick up where you left off. And this is the law, verse 13, and this is the law for the Nazarite. When the time of his separation has been completed, he shall be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he shall bring his gift to the Lord, one male lamb a year old without blemish for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb a year old without blemish as a sin offering, and one ram without blemish as a peace offering, and a basket of unleavened bread, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and their grain offering and their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord with a basket of unleavened bread. And the priest shall offer also its grain offering and its drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take the hair of his consecrated head and put it on the fire that is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the shoulder of the ram when it is boiled and one unleavened loaf out of the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and shall put them in the hands of the Nazarite, after he has shaved the hair of his consecration. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. They are a holy portion for the priest, together with the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed. And after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite. But if he vows any offering to the Lord above his Nazarite vow, as he can afford, in exact accordance with the vow that he takes, then he shall do in addition to the law of the Nazarite. So notice, there was a minimum requirement, but if you vowed above that, you had to keep your vow. The Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel when you say to them, I like this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, brothers and sisters, that is an incredible blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What a blessing! <laughs> uh, 
Lolos and Lolas, this is a beautiful blessing to pray over your grandchildren. This is a beautiful blessing when your children come to visit you and they bring the grandchildren just before the family goes home. Moms, dads, look at those children, look at your grandchildren, and say, come gather together and pray over them. Before they go home, pray over them. And then stretch your hands out over them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That would be a beautiful thing that you begin to do as a tradition in your family. As your last words of parting, Lolos and Lolas, pray those over your family. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. <laughs> and I will bless them. What a thing to do. What a beautiful thing to do. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Ah! Oh, I could get excited about that one all day. What, what a blessing to pray over people. When they come to visit you, what a blessing to pray over people as they've come to your home and visited you and you've, you've had a little birthday party or you've had a whatever. What a beautiful thing to pray over everybody as they go out. Beautiful, beautiful truth. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship again.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Mark chapter 13, beginning with verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, this is during the tribulation period. Now, I want you to understand something here. The rapture has already taken place. Jesus is teaching the Jewish people, how to live in the Great Tribulation now. These are Jesus' words spoken prophetically about the season of the Great Tribulation. This, this is not, these are not written to the church. These are words that are directed to the Jewish people. Notice those who are in Judea. Okay, he's writing to the Jews in Judea. Now, the rapture has taken place, and Romans teaches us that once the rapture takes place, the partial hardening of the Jewish people is lifted. And more and more of the Jewish people are going to be recognizing that, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. The rapture has really gotten their attention. Okay, the church is gone. Now, midway through the tribulation, the Antichrist sets up his statue. Now, many people seem to believe these days that this is going to be some type of an artificial intelligence thing. And I don't know. It just, it's like a, a, a statue that seems to come to life, okay? A lot of people believe this is an uh, artificial intelligence uh, robot or whatever, you know. Uh, but when you see this image of the Antichrist standing in the holy place, in God's temple, and that happens at the midpoint of the tribulation, okay, First three years of the tribulation, the Antichrist is really sweet, 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 mwah, mwah, kiss, kiss, love, love to the Jewish people. Midpoint, he turns on them with a vengeance. 
and he puts his own idol of his own person in the temple. And Jesus says, now at that point, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. In fact, when we put other passages with it, they actually flee to Ammon. This is, let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. And alas for the women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days. And pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be again. So the tribulation is a one-time event. Now that last three and a half years of the tribulation is even worse. The first three and a half years is bad. The last three and a half years, it's totally devastating. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. If God had not cut short the days of the tribulation, there would not be a human being left alive on the planet. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, for the sake of Israel, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Remember, the church is gone. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders for the purpose of leading astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, again, this is during the tribulation. All these false prophets and false Christs are going to rise up and do signs and wonders. Why? Because the two prophets of God, the, the two witnesses are in the temple courts. God never surrenders the territory. The two They try to kill him and they can't kill him. You go in there to kill him and fire comes out of their mouth and kills the people coming to kill him. They're supernaturally protected until it's time for them to die. So Satan comes along with false Christ and false prophets to discredit these two witnesses. Be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Jesus said, I've left no secrets. Okay, there, there's no secrets about what's going to happen. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. This is the second coming. This is not the rapture. This is the second coming at the battle of Armageddon. And then he shall send out his angels and gather his elect, Israel, from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And notice, Israel is completely regathered. Israel is completely regathered. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. He, Jesus, is near. He said, when, when you, you see, when you see the the sun darkened, all these things that occurred during the tribulation. 
When you see the moon not giving its light, remember there's one third of the stars, one third of the moon at night is darkened. When you see the stars, when you see meteors crashing into the earth, the star wormwood coming down, when, when you see these things happening, he's telling Israel, Messiah is near. He's right at the gate. So look at the mercy of Jesus. Even though he came to his own and they rejected him, he still teaches them how to live during the great tribulation and teaches them to have hope. He's, he's giving the people of Israel hope. And remember, Israel, the, the, the city of Jerusalem is, is broken by a great earthquake into four parts during this time. Remember all the devastation and the plagues and the vials and the bowls and all those things that we read about back in December as we closed out our reading for the year last year. All of that is taking place. And he says, now have hope. When you see these things taking place, have hope. I'm near. I'm right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. The generation that sees these things. There's no more waiting. That generation shall see them. Now, people get all concerned about this generation. Well, it's the generation that has seen these things that are described later in the book of Revelation in great detail. The sun darkened, the moon darkened, the stars falling from the sky, all of these things happening. When you, you see all that, that generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Again, he's giving hope. Then he closes. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus' words are eternal. But concerning that day, what day? The day we're talking about here, or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we are living in the age of grace. We are living in an interruption of God's calendar. This is an interruption of God's prophetic calendar. That's what we're living in the middle of right now. So you, you don't know when any of this is going to start ending. You know, you, you see all these things happening and you go, wow, Jesus could come at any time. You're right. He could come at any time. And because the rapture is the trigger that starts all of this, they don't know when any of this is going to happen. And you know what? They don't know the exact day or the hour of the second coming either. It's just at the end of seven years. At some point there at the end of the seven-year tribulation, Jesus is going to return. <laughs> Be on your guard, keep awake, for you do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work. Notice, each with his work, everybody has a duty and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to, to you all, I, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. He says this to the Jew, and he says this to the church. He said, I say this, what I say to you, the Jews, 
teaching you about how to live in the tribulation, I also say to all, stay awake. Wow. Some beautiful, beautiful stuff in there today. Now, let's come over for a little bit of wisdom in Proverbs before we close out today. Proverbs chapter 12, beginning with verse 15. Let's read New Living Translation again. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Have you ever noticed that when the Apostle Paul got the revelation of the gospel, because he learned the revelation in the deserts of Arabia for three years being taught by Jesus. But then he, he, he came back to Jerusalem and he presented the gospel that he understood as coming from Jesus to the rest of the apostles. He said, lest I'd run my race in vain. He was a wise man. He was willing to listen to others. But a fool, fool doesn't listen to anybody. God spoke to me. And they won't listen to anybody. That's called being a fool. A fool is quick-tempered. But a wise person stays calm when insulted. And you know what? Some of you, you like to get in little wars on Facebook. Would you just stop that? I mean, come on. You know, well, Pastor, I'm just having fun. No, you're not having fun. You you, you were quick-tempered. Now, it's, it's okay to be angry, but sin not. But it's not okay to be quick-tempered. A wise person stays calm when insulted. Now, now, brothers and sisters, all of us in life are going to get insulted. All of us in life are going to get insulted. Stay calm when you're insulted. Don't, don't, don't go off into a little Facebook rant. An honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells a lie. So we have two types of witnesses. Two types of witnesses. An honest witness will tell the truth. A false witness will tell the lie. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Wow. Some people's words. Now look at a English Standard Version. There is one with rash words that are like sword thrusts. Man, they hurt. They, they cut. But the tongue of the wise, the words of the wise bring healing. What are your words? You know, are your words cutting? Do your words just bring pain to people? You know, do you do you feel that you know you're you're the judge over all and you have the right to just just rip people up and ah uh, we're called to tear down and destroy? Excuse me. The words of the wise bring healing. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. See, the nice thing about truth is truth endures. Lies do not endure. You know, Pastor, there are people that tell lies and people believe them generations later. But sooner or later, truth comes out. Truthful words stand the test of time. But lies are soon exposed. Learn to tell the truth. Truthful words last. Lies, they get exposed soon enough. You don't have to fight with them. All right, we'll close out today. I'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we get back into the Book of Romans.